Acts chapter 1, we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage of Scripture this morning, one that uh, if you attended our protracted series that we did on the book of Acts, you know we referred to over and over and over again. But I want to go back to it today uh, as we, uh, we need to talk about something important at the beginning of 2012. So let's start reading Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. As always, if you don't have your Bibles with you, and I always encourage you to carry your Bibles, but if you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you, and it's the same New King James Version that I'm reading from. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner, as you saw him go into heaven. Verse number 8 is what we'll concentrate on today. Familiar verse, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Father God, we just ask now that you would uh, help as we turn to the Bible. Lord, help us, Father, to see it for what it is, not a book written by men, but, Lord, uh, inspired by God. Uh, and Lord, I pray today that we'll, uh, we'll give it its, its, its due uh, place of honor. I pray, Father, that I would not approach it lightly. I pray, Lord, that you'd fill me with your spirit. Oh, Father, I pray you'd protect me from saying anything I ought not and guide me to say whatever needs to be said and whatever you would have said. And Lord, just use this time. Father, you, you be our teacher. Speak to us today. Help us, Lord, to know exactly what you want us to know today. And once again, I pray, if there are specific needs in this room, I pray that you would, as, as only you can, take the, uh, the word, apply it to hearts, and meet those needs. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have two goals this morning for, uh, for this sermon. This, is, this may not actually be a normal sermon. It's, it's more like just a talk, if we could say that today. Uh, I've entitled it Digging Deeper in Ecclesiology because we're still in our Digging Deeper series. I had hoped that would end with 2011, but my timing was off and I didn't quite get it done yet. So we've just got a couple of more topics to discuss from our statement of faith uh, that, uh, that we need to talk about. And so I would like to start today by, uh, by going at it from that direction, our Digging Deeper in Ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is a, another one of those big theological words. It just means the doctrine of the church. Ecclesia, Greek word that means assembly, church. And so uh, we'll, we'll start with that. But then I want to kind of segue from that. I want to jump off of that and I, I want to go a completely different direction today because we're going to have our annual membership meeting here in just a, a few minutes now. And uh, we're going to be talking about our 610 plan. 
which we've been talking about for some time, but we're going to kind of roll that out and, and let you see kind of uh, where we're planning to go in the next few years. And so I want to kind of segue into that. So I'm not sure if this is one sermon or two or zero. I'm not sure what it is here today, but I hope you'll bear with me as we look at those two things. So we're really going to be looking at not only what we've looked at here in the Word of God, but we're also going to be referring to our statement of faith. And we're also going to be referring to another document, which is the 610 plan, which is included in this packet in the back. If you pick one up, if you have picked one up, fine. If not, make sure you do. Let's start off by thinking about uh, a little bit about what our statement of faith has to say about the church. You know, our statement of faith is meant to give clarity and understanding uh, to what we believe here as a church. Again, Brother Phil talked about some of this stuff in his, his good class this morning. Well, we have one, uh, one or two sentences in our statement of faith that deals with the church itself. And here's what it says. It says, we believe in the primacy of the church as an ordained institution of God with Christ as its head. We recognize the authority of the local church and subscribe to the ordinances of baptism by immersion and the Lord's Supper for all those who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And then there's some scripture there to back that up. But let's think about that particular thing just for a moment. Let's dig a little bit deeper into what our statement of faith says about ecclesiology. Isn't that a good word? Ecclesiology. Uh, several things I would suggest that we see in that statement that we believe. Uh, we believe, first of all, the church is important. Did you see that in there? It's important. Now, there are there is a thought among some Christians today that it's possible for a Christian to live a perfectly uh, acceptable uh, Christian life without active participation in a local church. Obviously, that is not the case with you because you're all here today. But you know what? Here's, here's the interesting thing. It could be the case with you. Someday down the road. I might make you mad. I know that's hard for you to imagine right now. I mean, I'm the nicest guy that has ever walked to the face of the earth. But, but there may come a time when I'll say something that will highly upset you. Out the door you'll go. There may come a time that somebody else here will hurt your feelings. Or somebody else here will say something that offends you. And you'll just decide to take your ball and go home. That kind of stuff happens in our Christian experience, does it not? Matter of fact, if we look around us today, I imagine that probably some of us can remember a particular person or persons who were here a while back who aren't here today. And so that kind of thing happens. And you may find yourself with the devil breathing in your ear saying, you could be a good Christian and not go to church. And when he says that, he will be wrong. And when you think that, you will be wrong. Because it just simply is not true. There is no such thing in the Bible as a Christian who is right with God and yet remains outside the church. It happens. It doesn't mean it's right. It even happened in New Testament times. The verse that we quote so often about how important it is for us to attend church. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That verse, we often talk about how it says, Don't forsake the assembling but there's a phrase in there that always jumps out at me. It says, as is the manner of some. This was written when the apostles were still on the earth. This was written in the first century of Christianity. Now, there were people alive who had actually known Jesus personally. And yet still, already, right then, there were some who had already decided, well, you can be a good Christian and not go to church. But it's not true. It's not true. So one of the things we see is that it's important. We believe in the primacy of the church. As an ordained institution of God. Another thing that we see from our statement of faith is that it is his. It is his. There often seems to be some confusion about who's in charge of the church. Always has been, I suppose. 
There seems to be. But I would suggest that's only for people who seek answers outside of the Bible, because I think the Bible makes it crystal clear who is the head of the church. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, He, Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. It's His. It's His. Now, we are here an elder-led congregation, or at least we are prayerfully and carefully working toward that goal. Probably too slowly for some, too fast for others. We're praying and working on that. But it doesn't matter who is humanly tasked with leading the local church. The fact is Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Amen? Amen. I was at a funeral yesterday where every 30 seconds we got a, can I get an amen on that? So, amen? Amen. All right. Jesus is the head of the church. We believe in the primacy of the church as an ordained institution of God with Christ as its head. That's what the hymn writer said. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word from heaven. He came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood, he bought her and for her life, he died. It's his. It's his. Don't ever let it become mine. And I'm never going to let it become yours. It's his. His. Another thing we believe is it has two ordinances. We believe that our head, Jesus Christ, instituted two particular ordinances or practices. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines that word ordinance as an authoritative decree or direction, an order. A law set forth by a governmental authority, a a municipal regulation, something ordained or decreed by fate or a deity, a prescribed usage practice or ceremony, and you think of all those and you see how they apply to what we call the ordinances of the church, which are believers' baptism and communion. You don't have to come here long before you understand and you come to realize that we take those things seriously here. We believe they are something we should practice. At this church, we practice baptism, and we believe we practice it as it's taught in the Bible. We do not baptize babies here. We dedicate babies here which is really dedicating the parents, but we do not baptize babies. Baptism is an act of obedience and identification and must happen after a person trusts Christ if it's going to be biblical baptism. We do not sprinkle here or pour. We immerse. That's why we have this monstrous tank behind me taking up half of the platform because we believe in baptism by immersion. And that's why that is a requirement for membership here at Friendship Bible Church, because it is one of the ordinances taught in the Bible. We also practice communion and did just a few minutes ago, and we accept that both of those practices are ordinances commanded by our Lord. And so, we recognize the authority of the local church, subscribe to the ordinances of baptism by immersion in the Lord's Supper for all those who profess Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. It has two ordinances. And so I'm going to stop there. I know that's not digging very deep in our Digging Deeper series. But I think that's enough for us to see what our statement of faith has to say about the church. Basically, those three things. It's important. It's his. And we believe those two ordinances are key. But let's move on to something else. A segue into the other topic I wanted to cover this morning. We've seen that the church is important. But let's see also, number two now, that the church has a mission. And now I'm no longer talking about our statement of faith. Now let's talk about where we want to go with this 610 plan that we have uh, documented for you here in this packet. The first question that comes to our mind 
And the first question that our 610 project, if you will, and I know some of you don't know what I'm talking about with that, and hopefully it'll become clear as I go on here. But the first project, or the first question they attempted to answer was, what is the mission of the church? And it's something that I've been thinking about a long time. Not just when we came up to this 610 project, but uh, for a long time. What is the mission of the church? If you ask 100 people, you're likely to get 100 different answers. What is the mission of the church? And we found some very interesting discussions when we got together with the 610, the people who were on that team, uh, and we asked that particular question. But I think we came to the conclusion, I hope we did, that the only reason you're going to come up with different answers is if you're looking at something other than the Bible to define it, because the Bible really is quite clear on what the mission of the church is. Let me just quote for you directly from our document that's, that's in this packet. What does mission mean? We need a clear understanding of the word. And basically, the definition of the word mission is, quote, the task which we are sent to accomplish, end quote. And that's very important for us to understand. The word mission means the task we are sent to accomplish. There are many good things that a church can and should be engaged in, but the mission of the church is much more focused. That specific thing which we are sent to do. In a military conflict, there is no question about the meaning of the word mission. It is a narrowly defined objective. It is a specific and defined task. It is a specific goal that the military is sent to accomplish. And so the question becomes, what are we, as a church, sent into the world to do? What is our mission? Well, for the last couple of months, we've had this thing going on called the 610 Project. And here's what we've done as as along with a lot of prayer and thought on my part, we pulled together a cross-sectional team, and many of you were on that team. And we just met a couple of times. We didn't do This wasn't a lot of, a lot of work for, for anybody, but we just pulled together this team and, and worked through these questions. And we worked through three things. What is the mission of the church? And then what is the vision that we ought to have? And then what are our goals and how we're going to accomplish that in the next five years? The 610 Project, if you don't know, if I haven't been clear enough, uh, in, in, in other times I've discussed this. I have been pastor here for five years, and now we're thinking about what is God's direction for us for the next five. Six through ten is why we called it the 610 Project. And so that group was greatly helpful to me in clarifying, crystallizing my thought processes about this sort of thing. What is our vision? What is our mission? What is our vision? What are our goals? And we kind of came up with this thought. You can't set your goals until you have a vision of where you ought to be going. And you can't have a right vision until you understand, until you see clearly what is our mission. What is the mission of the church? My son Joshua dabbled in Little League for a while. I say dabbled. Sorry. He dabbled in Little League for a while. And I have one particularly embarrassing memory. Not embarrassing about him. Embarrassing about me. When in one of his particular uh, Little League games I got there, and there was no umpire. And somebody, I don't remember who it was, the coach or somebody, came over to me and says, well, there's nobody to umpire home plate. We're going to have to ask you to do it. Well, that just terrified me to death. There's few things in the world more vicious than a Little League parent. And I thought, you know, I'm not any good at this kind of thing anyway. And I thought, oh, no, is there anybody else? And I begged and pleaded. Finally, they dragged me up there, and I had to do it. And all was fine. You know, calling balls and strikes was okay. That was no problem. But then some little kid dribbled one out into the infield somewhere, right toward the pitcher, if I recall. And the pitcher picked it up and bobbled it all around. And all this nonsense was going on. And he managed to finally lob it over to first base. And it arrived at exactly the same second that this little kid arrived. 
Big cloud of dust, and all heads turned toward me. I hadn't seen it. I didn't know what was going on. So I thought I would take the safe way out, and I said, safe! And everybody, both sides, both teams, started muttering under their breath about how I was obviously on the take, how I obviously had no eyes in my head whatsoever. How could he possibly have missed that call? It was a very embarrassing moment. It reminded me of something I read about Peter Falk one time. You know who Peter Falk was? He was a Colombo. Colombo, apparently, when he was, well, Peter Falk, when he was three years old, had cancer in one eye, and they removed his eye, and he had a glass eye. Well, he also apparently was quite an athlete when he was younger. And there was a particular time when he was playing baseball, and he got called out at third base, and he didn't agree with the call. And apparently he actually took his glass eye out, handed it to the umpire, and said, maybe you'll do better with this. <laughs> and that's the way I felt that particular day. But the fact is we need to see our mission, don't we? We need to see our mission clearly before we can consider anything else. So what is the mission of the church? What are we sent into the world to do? And here's what the 610 team decided. Here's what they determined. And again, I'm just reading from the document. Jesus has already defined it. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Our text for this morning, Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The 610 team decided and determined. They didn't decide. They just agreed and determined from their understanding of Scripture that we already know what our mission is. It's those great commission verses that Jesus has already laid out for us. He's already told us what we're to do. And they also determined that there's four main components to that mission. And those are go, make disciples, do it everywhere, and do it until Jesus comes. Those four things. Go, make disciples, do it everywhere, do it until Jesus comes. So the church is important. That's our first thought this morning. Now the church has a mission. That's our second thought. And the third, and with this I'll be done. We need to focus on that mission. We need to focus on that mission. Our focus needs to be, for the next, however long the Lord allows us to be here, go, make disciples, do it everywhere, and do it until Jesus comes. We talked about our vision and we talked about our goals. But our vision, which is basically our answer to the question, what do we want God to do here in the next five years? Our vision, which is basically uh, an answer to the question, if God can do anything here in the next five years, which he can, then what do we want him to do? What are we asking him to do? That vision has to, first of all, be based on the mission. It has to be based on the mission. So we ask ourselves, Lord, how can we to the greatest degree go and make disciples and do it everywhere and do it until Jesus comes? That's our vision. Question. And then our goals that we talked about after that, which are the actual, actionable steps where we decide to use our time, our talents, our treasure to do something. The things we can actually get our arms around and say, this is what we're going to do in the next five years. Those things have to directly map back as well. Everything has to be uh, for the primary purpose of fulfilling our mission. Go. Make disciples. Do it everywhere. 
do it until Jesus comes. You know, Jesus is, as always, our primary example. Jesus came in the world. He did a lot of good things, didn't he? You read your Bible, you see Jesus healing blind eyes. Peter Falk would not have had a blind eye if he'd been living in Jesus' day. Uh, he, he, he made lame men walk. He deaf people hear. He cast demons out of people. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He took care of people's needs. He went about doing good, the Bible says. He, he cast demons out of people. He even raised the dead. But none of those were his mission. None of those things were ever described as his mission. Always with Jesus, the goal was the soul. All those other things were tools to reach the soul. Tools to help, help them believe. Tools to accomplish his mission, which we have plainly described for us in the Bible, which was to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we need to keep the main thing the main thing. In every endeavor, we need to, we need to keep our eye on the mission. Are we accomplishing the mission? You know, it's true in athletics. It's true in the business world. It's true any place you want to go that you need to focus. You need to focus if you're going to succeed. One businessman, and I don't remember who it was, said the secret of success is to pick one thing and do it better than anybody else. And so for the next few years that we're together, however long it would be, certainly for the next year, 2012, let us ask God to help us focus on our mission, which is our great commission, which is to go and make disciples and do it everywhere and do it until Jesus comes. Now, I'm not in any way saying that we're not doing that. And I'm not in any way saying we're in trouble or anything like that. I just think it's a good place right now, a milestone, five years together. Looking forward to five years more, Lord willing. Uh, it's a good time to take stock. It's a good time to pull up and look around and assess, are we doing the right thing? Are we heading in the right direction? So we need to focus on our mission. And so... Three thoughts this morning. The church is important, the church has a mission, and we need to focus on that mission. And so, Friendship Bible Church, here's what I'm asking of you uh, right now as we look forward into 2012. Will you join me as we do that? Will you join me as we march forward with a clear mission, with a vision, and with some very clearly defined goals, which we're going to talk about at our meeting in just a few minutes? Will you join me with that? Here's the first step you need to do. You need to pick one of these up, and you need to read it. You need to notice some of the things God has done, and you need to read and pray about some of the things that we're asking him to do in the next few years. Three specific things I want you to do as you look at that document today or whenever you look at it. Number one, I want you to read the first part of the report, which is headed mission, and which I've already read to you most of it here this morning. Look at that part and ask yourself, is that mission my mission? Is the mission of the church the same mission that I have? And if it's not, number one, would you ask God to forgive you for that? Because it ought to be. And number two, would you pray that God would help you to have the same mind? Because you know what? We need unity of purpose. We need unity of mission if we're going to accomplish what God wants for the next few years. So ask God, help me, Lord, that that mission would be my mission. And then read the second part of the report, which is vision. And all listen, catch hold of it. Catch hold of it. I asked the 610 team to consider this question. If anything were possible, what would you like to see happen here to accomplish our mission over the next five years? I told them to dream big. And they did. And if you look at the report, you're going to see there's some big things on there. There's some ambitious things on there. Imagine if you would, 
a church that truly reached its community, its Jerusalem, for Christ. I see such a church here in the next few years. A church with facilities remodeled to provide maximum effectiveness. A a church with new facilities to enable greater effectiveness. A church that makes use of every technology, every tool, every opportunity. A church with discipleship and training programs in place to reach every person, every need, and every heart in Randolph. That's what I see. Will you get hold of that same thing? Imagine, if you would, a church that reaches beyond its Jerusalem to Samaria and the outlying regions. Imagine what we might do. Once we've tackled Randolph, I talk about Randolph and half people here don't live in Randolph. What about when we move to Rootstown? What about when we move to Atwater and beyond? Imagine a Friendship Bible Church that's not only reaching Randolph, but other communities as well. Imagine the joy of assisting in the planting of other churches in the area. Can you imagine that? Imagine the joy of fostering sister churches in those areas. Can you see that? I can see that for this church. Imagine, if you would, a church that truly reaches to the uttermost parts of the earth. At no time in history has it been more possible for us to do that. At no time in history has there been a time when a church of a hundred people like us could reach every nation of the earth. But we can today. With the technology that is available, there's just no reason we cannot. Imagine a church, a hundred people in little old Randolph, Ohio, that is literally reaching every corner of the globe with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have a vision, and I've mentioned it a couple of times, and most people kind of smirk when I say it, but I believe it. I believe that we could support a missionary in every country of this earth if we wanted to do it. We could do it. Those are just a few of the things that we envision for this church in the next five years. And so I ask you as you read that, catch that vision. Catch it. And finally, number three, as you read the third part, goals. You'll see that's actually talking about things we have to start doing. That's talking about things where brick and mortar. That's talking about things where we actually have to pick up a tool or we have to get involved. And so as you look at the goals, the things we actually want to do, the steps we want to accomplish in 2012, ask yourself, am I willing to do my part? Am I willing to do my part? In just a moment, we'll meet for our members meeting. Every single person is certainly welcome to attend that. It's, it's, it's open to all. All members, please, you're encouraged to attend that. But uh, I would ask you today to think about, will you do your part? These things are going to take time. They're going to take talented people. They're going to take treasure if we're going to accomplish them. We need you. I need you. This church needs you. If we are truly going to go and make disciples and do it everywhere and do it until Jesus comes, it's going to take us all.